Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hey, it's Glenn Washington from Snap Judgment. And if you love what you're hearing, and I know you love what you're hearing, please consider becoming a KQED member special access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. Plus, you'll sleep better at night knowing you did your part for the community you depend upon. It's in you. Please be in it. Visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to sign up now. That's podcast with an S. Thanks. From KQED. I'm Sasha Coca. This is the California Report magazine. Change is on the way because if you look back, many of those that have fallen are black brothers and sisters have not received justice. The officers were acquitted or were not charged at all. I see this as a new birth. We could take this as a win, but I'm still, I still wake up every day concerned for my dad, for my brothers. For my cousins, all the black males in my family, all my black male friends, that's still a big concern for me. Voices of Californians reacting to the verdict, finding Derek Chauvin guilty on all counts in the murder of George Floyd. I can't believe it. I had no faith that they would come back and give this family justice. What I fear is going to happen, we're just going to go back to the status quo because now... White America will believe, right, that they've given the black community some piece of justice, something that we can hang our hat on. We need to pass the George Floyd Justice and Policing Act, put it on President Biden's desk, because that will be the first step to transforming policing. So much of what our country is wrestling with right now are questions about power. How do we hold people in power accountable? How about people who haven't had power? How can they claim it? Well, we're going to turn to someone now who's really thinking a lot about those questions. And you might recognize her voice from The California Report. There's formal power, the type you get by winning an election or getting appointed CEO. Then there's informal power, the kind you assert on your own out of nowhere. It's the power that sits deep inside your body, a raw natural resource, kind of like a volcano, dormant most of the time, but brimming with potential energy. That kind of power, it's in everyone. It just depends on how and when you let yourself erupt. That's Arthi Shahani with her new podcast, Art of Power. Arthi was one of my fellow South Asian colleagues at KQED, where we produced the California Report, before she went on to become NPR's Silicon Valley reporter. She's also written an incredible memoir. It's all about growing up as the daughter of working class Indian immigrants and about how fighting her dad's deportation when she was a teenager turned her into a community organizer and then a journalist. I asked her what led her to want to frame her new show around the concept of power. I've gotten to experience what it's like to vie for power when you're by design excluded. Like 
I spent a lot of my young life being part of the quote unquote powerless. And so, you know, the obsession with the practice of power, I think, started very much out of family necessity and survival. And then as an adult, my curiosity about power, I think it actually led me to Silicon Valley. My access to power capital P exploded, and I just became a student of how it functions. You know, what does a conversation, for example, about entrepreneurship look like when it's hosted by, you know, the white guy who comes from a a well-to-do family versus when it's hosted by the woman of color who comes from a poor family. Mm -hmm. The questions are going to be different. Mm -hmm. You know, when someone tells me, yeah, I just built this thing out of the, you know, my parents' garage, I don't think, oh, wow, you just bootstrapped it all by yourself. I think, oh, your parents had a garage. Oh, what else do they have that they gave you? (laughs) You know what I mean? Exactly. You have had some really fascinating people on your show and, you know, people who hold power in very, very different ways. Some of them hold power in a traditional sense. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about Carol Mosley Braun. She talks not only about being the very first black woman Mm -hmm. elected to the Senate, but she is so introspective about what it took for her to get there. Look at the possibilities, not the limitations. Because if you look at the limitations, you will not try anything new. You'll intimidate yourself and you'll tell yourself no. And that is not how the world changes. What really blew my mind in in interviewing Carol Mosley Braun was she explained both what it takes to break that glass ceiling, but also how it will cut you. Her time in the Senate was a trial by fire, you know, and I think in a lot of ways, history has treated her wrong. If you talk to a lot of black people in politics, they'll kind of stay away from her because she didn't get reelected. The story about her is she kind of fell on her face. And that to me, it just feels so wrong I just feel like a younger generation of people need to rediscover her and be like, this woman's badass, you know, <laughs> like that's yes. kind of what I want to happen with that episode. You know? Yeah. I mean, she she struck me when she talked about not only being the only black woman in the room, but also how she had a responsibility being in that place to speak up. I don't know. Maybe this is just my day to get to talk about race. I love you. the scene where you capture her filibustering to try to stop an effort by the Daughters of the Confederacy to renew a patent on the Confederate flag. I say to you that it is an outrage. It is an absolute outrage that this body would would adopt a symbol of this point of view. I have to stand here till this room freezes over. I'm not going to see this amendment put on this legislation. I mean, imagine the fortitude it takes to be the only fill-in-the-blank person in the room. And not hiding, but pushing yourself to use your voice. And she filibustered. And, and then finally, an elder white man from the South decided to speak up to say, actually, I think she's got a point. I come from a family deeply rooted in the Confederacy. Alabama Senator Howard Heflin. We live in a world today where symbols do mean a great deal. We must get racism behind us. Therefore, I will support 
for a reconsideration of this. Thank you very much. Really, it was this amazing historical moment where she spoke and she spoke and she spoke and she spoke, and then the dominoes fell. You know, you also did an episode with somebody who doesn't hold power in the traditional sense, you know, is not an elected official. And and that's Gabby Pacheco. She was a college student and she was undocumented and she marched from Miami to D.C. to try to push for protections for people we now know of as dreamers. And you ask her about this moment when this really loud, angry man confronts her. Every time that we would try to speak, this man would just like start screaming and talking and talking over us. The type of guy a lot of us would want to punch in the face. But Gabby, she put in the effort to ask him questions. Gabby learned that this man's wife, his high school sweetheart, was dying of cancer. She couldn't get the transplant she needed because, in his mind, illegals like Gabby were draining health care. I remember talking to him and I remember, you know, just seeing how sad this man was and how scared he was that his wife was dying. And mm. in that moment, again, understanding, right, that people's, people are feeling actual pain. I have to acknowledge him as a human being. I have to make sure that he understands, right, what he said was wrong. But he has for sure, you know, the right to be wrong. <laughs> he is going to be wrong, you know, like he's imperfect. And so I believe in this wholeheartedly. I can't mistreat another human being because I'm being mistreated by them. This whole concept of hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can. I believe in that. I feel that she embodies what we are trying to get people to think about for themselves. You might be sitting there feeling like, I don't have the agency, I don't have the resources, I don't have the leverage to make a dent in this world. Well, you know what? Meet a woman who at age 24, while being undocumented, not having money, decided she was going to walk 1,500 miles from her hometown Miami to Washington, D.C., to basically corner the American president into passing what's now known as DACA. She made DACA happen. She had nothing. Basically, you know, the metaphor that comes to mind, and it's become the metaphor for our show, is she let her volcano erupt. We've all got one inside. You've got one. I've got one. Well, let it erupt. What I love about this podcast is that at the end of each episode, you do this kind of one, two, three, right, of the top takeaways from each of the people that you're talking to in that episode. When you look at all of those power lessons so far, can you rank them as a whole? One of the many lessons I've got to learn right now, it comes from Senator Carol Mosley Braun. If you are in a place where people just don't assume you're capable of very much, you don't have to listen to their story of you. Know yourself. You know what you're capable of. Don't seek everyone else nodding in approval. Chase what you know you can do. Build a strategy around it. But you know, so much of why people don't exercise their power is that they buy a story that's not even theirs about themselves. 
seriously, Arthi, it's really great to talk to you. And I, I feel really lucky that we got to have you for a time at KQED oh. and on the California Report, you know, be a voice. And now to see your voice amplified is amazing. Thank you. So I'll be Thank tuning you. in for the next episode. Great. Sasha, when you reached out because you wanted to talk about my show, I had this feeling of like, I'll be damned, a Desi sister supporting a Desi sister. Thank you. <laughs> That's what I felt when you reached out, mm-hmm. you know? It, and it really touched me in part because I don't think it happens enough. Aw. Is your volcano erupting? My volcano is erupting. <laughs> I, am, I am feeling my power and I am feeling very hot under this blanket, so I'm going to take it off. Arthi Shahani and I were talking to each other from our makeshift home studios, and each of us were under a thick blanket so that we could insulate the sound. Arthi's new podcast is Art of Power. We've been asking our listeners to tell us about loved ones you've lost to COVID-19 here in California. Of course, many of those who've died were essential workers or members of vulnerable communities. This week, we're going to tell you about Sylvia Morton. She was 61, and she worked in the ER at Riverside Community Hospital. And if she was on duty, you would know it. Her voice was very penetrating. (laughs) When she was at work, she had to wear a button that said, I am loud, so that elders knew that she wasn't trying to talk at them. She just had a very loud, penetrating voice. My mom had a bedazzled Hello Kitty ER sweater. And everybody knew, oh, there's Sylvia. Those are Sylvia's daughters, Yoli Ballesteros and Marlene Morton. The California Reports' Asala Sanapur brings us this remembrance. Sylvia's voice was as booming as her love of Selena. She played all of the songs at work, but her favorite was Bitty Bitty Bum Bum. She would start dancing and singing and flipping her hair back and forth like she was on stage. She really loved Selena to the point where she changed her name on her badge to Selena. And she told them, okay, my name is Selena. Everybody has to call me Selena. Sylvia Morton grew up in San Bernardino. She was a proud member of the Cahuilla tribe and lived just south of San Manuel Indian Reservation. Her mom died when she was three. Her dad was an alcoholic. And so she spent her childhood shuttling between relatives' houses. There was always a pot of beans made and everyone had a ration. And if you were not home in time, then if it was gone, it was gone. In the absence of that big nurturing family she craved, Sylvia played pretend. She watched the Partridge family, and she would sing and be part of the Partridge family. Hello, world, here's a song that we're singing. Come on, get happy. It was someplace happy for her to kind of be other than just stuck in her reality. In junior high, she fell for a tall, green-eyed goofball named Carlos. He fell for her deep dimples and long black hair. Carlos's grandmother invited Sylvia for breakfast almost every day so she'd have something to eat before school. I know my mother always said that my dad rescued her. 
And when she was 12, she decided that that was the love of her life and she was going to marry him. And at 15, she did. With her dad's blessing, Sylvia and Carlos got married in Mexico. And when Sylvia was just 15, she had her first baby, Carlos Jr. Soon after came little Yoli. My mother was 17 when she had me, so we kind of grew up together. I remember when I was about four years old, my mom taught me how to do backflips in our front yard, and she actually showed me because <laughs> she, she was that young. But even as a young mom, Sylvia was committed to giving the kids more than she'd had. Every morning, we lined up like little soldiers, and <laughs> you know, she made sure everyone's hair was combed, everybody had on clean clothes. The kids also remember packing into their dad's 51 Chevy Deluxe Lowrider. On the weekends, they'd cruise the boulevard while blasting oldies, like Sylvia's favorite, Brenton Wood. A few months after giving birth to her baby girl, Marlene, Sylvia decided to earn her certified medical assistant certificate. She wanted us to be educated. She wanted us to have good careers, to be self-sufficient, to take care of ourselves. And she showed us by example how to do that. Sylvia rose through the ranks from certified medical assistant to radiology technician and eventually headed up ER admissions. Throughout her career, she encouraged young people in the Native American community to dream big, too. Sylvia mentored Native kids, hired them whenever she could, and she taught weekly art and music classes on the local reservation. Yoli says when her mom gave talks at the tribal high school, she'd pack the auditorium. She would let them know that getting your diploma is great and it's a necessity to move further in life, but there's more. Push yourself to do more. Sylvia's ambition rubbed off on her own kids, too. Almost all of them got into the medical field. Sylvia was one of those people who realized how serious the pandemic was going to be before the outbreak started here in California. She and Yoli got to work early sewing masks. She'd wear her N95 mask, and then she'd wear a bedazzled mask on top of that. I bought her a shield. She bedazzled the shield. And she moved her Native American art classes to YouTube, a series called Sylvia Morton's Native Notions. Hi there, this is Sylvia, and we're here today from Morongo Tribal Tennis. Um, today's class is going to be a medicine bag. She squeezed in the videos between long, grueling nights in the emergency department. We had been telling my mom, don't go to work. Because at that time that she caught COVID, it was like wildfire. And I kept telling her, you have PTO, use your time off. And she kept saying, I have to, you know, she has a responsibility. And I felt a little selfish because I was like, your responsibility is us, your family. But she continued to go to work. The entire family gathered together for the last time on Thanksgiving. Soon after, Sylvia tested positive for COVID-19. Her son, Carlos Jr., tested positive too. Him and my mom were extremely close. Um, she was 15 when she had him. 
and he was a natural born leader. He really picked up that from my mom. Sylvia and Carlos got to share a room at the hospital where they were being treated. Since Marlene worked there too, she was able to ring in the new year with them. Carlos Jr. died on January 1st, just a few hours later. I feel that it was God giving my mom the last few hours with her son. And I think that my brother felt comfort the moment he seen my mom and knew that she was in the bed next to him. There didn't have to be words. They could just look at each other. She was moved out of the room hours before he passed. She said that she knew within her body and her heart. She said she knew from her mother instinct. And then when he passed away, immediately she, it was like a rapid decline. She really, really needed my brother. Sylvia passed away a week after her son, on January 8th, 2021. Looking back on Sylvia's life, there's one thing her daughters know she'd be proud of. Her family. She was an amazing mother for not being able to have a mother growing up, not being able to have her mother. She was always there. She was young. She made a lot of mistakes, but she was there. Sylvia Morton is survived by her husband, four children, 11 grandchildren, and seven great-grandchildren. For the California Report, I'm Asala Sanapur. April, the coolest month. April, the cruelest month? Says who? From Chula Vista to Bakersfield, she drove up to the San Joaquin Valley to hear him quote this. What was it about reading and college anyway? Fool, she ached to say, just look out the window. Your A-plus blacks out sunlight. Breathe. That's poet Al Young reading his Ode to April as part of a monthly series he created for our show a while back. We were so sad to hear about his passing last week. Al was 81. He was a California transplant born in Mississippi. A teacher, a novelist, a father, and a mentor to so many writers. He served as California's Poet Laureate, and he nurtured young artists around the state. I want to play a little bit of Al talking with former host Scott Schaefer in an interview they did back in 2006. And I think you can really hear Al's depth and warmth come through so powerfully. Like when Al talks about his time working with a group of kids in a juvenile facility in San Leandro. There were about 100 kids there, uh, 50 boys and 50 girls. And this was an occasion where they had just begun to write poetry and to read a lot. Uh, Previously, there had been no books at that facility, just television. Hmm. And they loved it. When I asked 
How many of you have lost a loved one or a neighbor or a classmate or a family member to violence? Every hand went up, and you understood that these 12- and 13-year-olds were living in a, a very threatened world. And poetry gave them an opportunity to express things that they found inexpressible previously. What, what was the tone of the poetry? Was it, uh, was it fairly grim? I mean, you're describing, and we all know the, the toll that violence takes... We read our poetry and, and, and talked about our, our concerns. But subsequently, I received poems uh, that were emailed to me. And uh, there was a range. Sometimes it was about uh, remorse. It was about loss. I remember one young, I want to say young woman, but she was really a girl. I mean, these were babies. Uh, sent me a poem about being forced into prostitution, poems about drugs, uh, poems about confusion, really, and a certain sadness. If I could say anything in general, these kids wanted something that they could believe in and could hold on to, and they weren't finding it. That was poet Al Young talking to Scott Schaefer on our show back in 2006. A couple years later, he came on the show just after finishing up his term as State Poet Laureate. Of course, I've reached the age where you start to think about time and and how much do you have left and what have you done with the time that you've had and what is this anyway and so this is the poem that comes from such thinking and just feeling uh, feeling the world uh, and summing up a lot of experience as time encircles and recycles itself as time encircles and recycles itself Mirror likenesses thicken and fog up. If you have trouble finding yourself, start looking elsewhere. The sky, not only is it not the limit, it opens and dares you to look up who you are. Mountains and mountains and mountains, they're you. Great lakes you take to be out there someplace look like you, splash and churn and shine like you. The world beyond washed flesh is you. Light dries your eyes. One blink can melt illusion, dissolve the frame that says, I look at you and see no evidence of me. Poet Al Young on our show back in 2008. That same year, he came on KQED's show Forum to talk about how music touched his work. Al was also a jazz lover, a musician himself, and a scholar. And there's this moment in that interview when he's talking about Stevie Wonder's tribute to Duke Ellington called Sir Duke, and then this happens. Al Young, troubadour and poet, thank you for your voice. Rest in power. We're going to miss you. And that's the California Report magazine for this week. We're a production of KQED Public Radio in San Francisco. Victoria Mauleon is our senior editor. Amanda Font is our director. And our engineer is Brendan Willard. Our team also includes Asala Sanapur, Hector Arzate, Danny Bringer, Susie Racho, and Seal Muller. 
By the way, our show is up for a huge award, the Webby for Best Podcast in the category of diversity and inclusion. It's for the episode we did about a transgender asylum seeker and her dream of coming to California. You might have heard it. If not, check it out on our podcast and please vote for us. We are up against some heavy hitters like HBO. So if you want to show us some love, please cast your vote at webbyawards.com. Just look for the individual podcast episode called A Butterfly With My Wings Cut Off. I'm Sasha Coca, and thank you so much for listening. This is the California Report magazine, your state, your stories. Do you love learning about the San Francisco Bay Area? It's history, it's people, it's unique blend of cultures. Then you should check out the Bay Curious book. I'm Katrina Schwartz, editor and producer on the Bay Curious podcast, and I'm here to let you know that for the month of May, we've worked out a sweet deal for KQED podcast listeners. Right now, you can get the Bay Curious ebook for $1.99. That's right, $1.99. Just search for Bay Curious wherever you get your ebooks or find a link in our show notes. This offer does expire at the end of the month, though, so you'll want to act on it fast. Happy reading! Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest. And I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just what we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio. It was always KQED. And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support.